that was one question. The other is, uh, did you ever t- did you ever take your sons for a night dive? And the, the answer is yes. I actually took them to the exact same spot where I had that disastrous night dive where my uh, light went out. <clears throat> and I actually had for them, I had, a, I had a light, a dive light. I had a backup dive light. I had a backup to the backup. For each of them, they had a light. They each had a backup light. And there was a strobe attached to the back of every one of their tanks. So I knew different color strobes. I knew where they were. So we were covered. And a question that some of you have not asked, if you're a diver, but you wanted to, but you just didn't want to make me feel too bad, is why in the world would you go on a night dive without a tested, credible source of illumination? That's a great question, and I will never do it again. (laughs) But that same question can be asked of human beings. Why would we try to navigate through this thing called a human life without a credible source of illumination. Now, one of the answers is you and I live in a secularized culture that has a dominant theme running through the educational institutions that all we are are lucky blobs of protoplasm. We, We happened in an accidental cosmic petri dish, and we are headed for nothingness at the end of this existence of 70, 80, 90 years, but in between time, you just, as Camus, the existentialist French philosopher from last century said, you either, if that's the case, we're just accidents, there are only two options that are logical, one is suicide, which is the one we don't want to take, the other is authenticate your own existence, in other words, make something up. And the beauty of the, of the gospel is not that Jesus came to make us religious, he didn't come to start another religion, that wasn't his goal, that's how we have interpreted that over time. He came to restore something that was broken, and so is John. This is not one of John's, uh, this is not one of Jesus' religious uh, proselytes from that standpoint. This was a friend of his. This is somebody that walked with him. And John, in his spirit-inspired prologue to his gospel, said, let me tell you what was so unique about Jesus. It wasn't his ideology. It wasn't his morality, even though his teaching was brilliant and his morality was superior. It was the fact that uh, my word's not theirs. This is the first fully alive human being that's walked on the face of this planet since Adam and Eve before the fall. They were drawn to him. They were drawn to him, not just in his teaching, yes, his teaching, not just in his, his, his morality and his, in, in, in his moral absolutes, yes, there, but just the way he did life. What was the first miracle that Jesus did, and where was it? It was at a church, and he created a steeple out of nothing, right? No, it was at a party, it was at a, a wedding reception. He did life with them. And so John says, here's what was so unique about him. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. It was that credible source of illumination that enables you and me to navigate through our journeys because we otherwise were born dead and were born into darkness. Now, we, we navigate, okay. We're capable of a great, as fallen human beings, we're still in the image of God. We're capable of great creativity and love and laughter great feats of engineering and medicine. But 
It's cloaked. And over the course of our journey, sooner or later, all of the ins and outs finish. And this is what Dante said when he wrote his classic Dante Alighieri, his classic uh, Dante's Inferno that you read, I'm sure, with great passion in high school and read it cover to cover and repeated it once you were done. One of the great pieces of Italian literature, this is how he opens it. He opens it autobiographically. This is a 40-year-old man who says, in the middle of the road of my life, I awoke at a dark wood where the true way was wholly lost. That's honesty. But we're afraid of that honesty because we don't have answers. So we pick the, uh, the other option of either surviving to play, so we just get through every day and wait for the weekend, and then once we get to the weekend, we play to try to build up enough fun fixes and anesthetics to survive another day. And yet Jesus says, let me tell you something, there's another way. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life, might have it to the full. That's not a full Christian life. Hear that. He's coming to restore what he originally designed that was marred by rebelliousness, a rebelliousness that's encapsulated, not by breaking a rule here or there, but by this dominant theme of, God, I don't need you to be a normal man, normal woman. I can be fulfilled on my own. That's what the scriptures refer to as rebellion and sin. And Jesus says, the thief lures us, deceives us, and says, you don't need God to be fully human. He says, I've come to restore that. I've come that you might have life, have it to the full. And so here's where we left off yesterday. The great statement Jesus made, you want to come to the Father, you have to come through me, but don't ignore his, his trilogy of statements. I'm way, I'm truth, I'm life. And as we demonstrated by that easel that I will not go near, you need all three legs you don't just need two, but our tendency often is in our religious circles and our church circles is to focus on way and or truth and not life. And I think we've got a Q&A session later in the, the week, or you can grab and we can talk more about that. It's an enormous thing. Way and truth are a lot easier. Way is give me some rules. Just give me a few rules to follow. Religious people are really good at that. And we move outside of the scriptures and create some other subcultural patterns. Or give me a doctrinal statement to agree with. In fact, most of our churches, you want to be part of our church? Uh, sign our doctrinal statement and agree with our subcultural orientation and, and behavior codes. Nothing, doctrinal statements are absolutely critical. Biblical obedience is absolutely critical, but there has to be the life that comes along with it. So this week, looking at, do I really understand the gospel? And the gospel is way, truth, and life. It's not just life. We are talking with some people later yesterday about there's some denominations that are in, uh, some of your churches, some of my church experience, some of us know tr have a truth church, others of us have a way church, and others of us might have a life church. And trying to do those three things without the other two is really dangerous. But the beauty is saying, let's engage with the gospel fully. Do I understand it? But it's not just understanding the gospel and then being able to repeat it for somebody else to get them to believe. Am I experiencing the gospel? This first part might be the orthodoxy that we've talked about that we'll get back to, but this is the vibrancy. Experience. What does it look like for you to experience the gospel at work, in a board meeting, on vacation, 
What does experiencing the gospel look like? And tons of young lives just left this room. And do you know what they're desperate for? We think they're desperate for us to make sure and explain the gospel, yes. But they're also desperate to experience it. But the way that they learn to experience it is by seeing other people model it. And we tend to just let our volume of explanation go up instead of us living out loud through tears and through laughter and saying, let's figure out how the gospel relates to this. Then we proclaim it. So, that's kind of the overall picture where we left off yesterday. Now let's acknowledge who the real teacher is and let's dive in for part, part two. Let's pray. Jesus, I know you've got an agenda in every one of these people's lives. I know partially what it is because it's in your word. But the specifics, only that man, that woman knows, and maybe his or her spouse or family or friends, and maybe they have no clue as to what you're up to in their lives. But we all have something going on within us. There's something that has pained when we start talking about the gospel and more than a, 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 a and more and packaging it more than just in the realm of religiosity, when we start grappling with the gospel, not in terms of our religiosity, but our humanity. There's something that's, that's pleasing to you because you created us. And you've summoned us to become like you, restored into your image fully. And the one thing that I ask as a result of this week, that in whatever point of brokenness or joy or dreaming or ache that's present in this room, that we would move one step closer. It could be a small one or a large one. But maybe, maybe we move one step closer in experiencing the good news of the gospel in the midst of our Mondays and our Thursdays, not just our Sundays. Whatever chaff comes up this morning, may it dissipate, just disappear. But the wheat, the seeds, the good stuff that's rooted in your word, may it take root in me and in them. Thanks for the privilege of doing the journey together this week. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So I was thinking about um, kind of the demographics of this room, and I think I'm going to be fairly safe. A lot of times, sometimes with uh, college students, they, they might not be quite as aware. But uh, how many of you have heard of Billy Joel? Okay. All right. So I think I'm in safe territory. So I, um, a couple of years ago, I, I serve on a uh, a board in, uh, that's headquartered in New York called the International Arts Movement. I was, I was there for some other meetings as well. It was a Tuesday afternoon. I remember very clearly. I checked into a hotel in Manhattan, walked up. I was dead tired. I'd been preaching that weekend, had some meetings on Monday, arrived, and I had a meeting that night, and I was dragging. I thought, there's not enough five-hour energies in the, in the world that's going to get me through tonight. Uh, much less tomorrow. So I guess it was the weariness that blinded me 
to, uh, during the registration process, to the camera crew that was off to the side. So, you know, you go in the hotel, driver's lights, credit card, sign up, and so forth. So I'm just kind of going through the motions. And then all of a sudden, the light comes on over there, and I look over, and it's a lighting guy, camera guy, uh, somebody with a, 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 a microphone. This guy was walking up next to the receptionist, the woman that was checking me in, and he had a microphone. And uh, I'm, I'm looking, and I'm still, it's like, it's not quite connecting. What in the world? And then he looks at me and says, uh, Mr. Matthew Hurt? I said, yes. He said, uh, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of our hotel. Do you mind if I ask you a trivia question about Billy Joel? I said, sure, that's what I thought you were going to ask me, so go, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, talk about out of the blue. And so his question was, what's Billy Joel's nickname? And the answer is? I wasn't totally sure, but that was the only thing I could think of, so I said the piano man. When I said piano man... Bell started ringing, confetti seriously fell from the ceiling, employees that I had not noticed gathering behind me started clapping, and this guy thrust out a golden envelope to me and said, congratulations, you've won two tickets to tomorrow night's performance by Billy Joel in Madison Square Garden. I said, how cool is that? I never, I never win anything. So, um, first thing I thought of was actually calling my my sons. Actually, the first thing I thought of was calling the guy I had a meeting with the next night to explain to him how God's will had changed. <laughs> and so I had to do that one. He totally understood. Then the reason I want to call my sons, let them know, is because my sons love Billy Joel. They discipled them in Billy Joel-dom or Ness or whatever. And they would sing through. They had the double CD of all his best hits to soccer games. I'd get in the car and say, honey, these guys are singing all along. You know, well, how about some, wait, let's do some scripture too. She says, oh yeah, they got to memorize too. And so, which, which they did. So, uh, but I started thinking about it. Okay, I'm going to go to a Billy Joel concert tomorrow night without my wife. That does not, I couldn't figure out a good way to tell her that. There was just all the rendition. So I but then I came up with a really good option, and that was cash in on some frequent fire miles, call her up and say, honey, I got you a ticket tomorrow morning leaving Denver at 10 o'clock. You're going to join me for a Billy Joel concert tomorrow night? And she said, well, that's, that's, that's tomorrow. I said, I know. And Stephen had just left home and so, uh, for college, and so we were empty nesters. I said, we're empty nesters. They tell us we can be spontaneous. This is spontaneous. <laughs> so... So she flew in, had the hotel, helped me get her all set up. Then we go over to Madison Square Garden. And I'm walking up, 20,000 people sold out. I'm walking up, my ticket's free. Is your ticket free? My tickets are free. Is yours? And uh, I was feeling all pompous and proud that I had free tickets. And so then we, we sat there and started listening to the concert. And it was amazing. The guy has not lost a beat. He might have lost a few years, hasn't lost a beat. But then he came up to a song that I bet I have heard, uh, not exaggerating, I, I'm, I've heard it a, a hundred times at least in my life. And it's a song called The River of Dreams. Anybody know this song? So, got it right here. We're going to test this out. I've, I've, I've got an interpretive dance that I've been practicing. You might not know it by the title, but you've heard this. 
I'm not going to move. I'm just going to stay right here. But you know you want to. Yeah. In the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. Did you guys see the preacher moonwalk? Uh, remember that time? Yeah. So pay attention to the lilt of this. I mean, it's a happy, it's a happy tune. I mean, you just want to go with it. I've actually sung the words to it, but I don't know what it was. It was it being live, uh, something about, I, I, I had this thought, did he just say that? Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. And so the benefit of being in a concert with a, a smartphone is you can look up the lyrics. And so I'm going to play the song again. Started. I'm just going to pick up where I left off, but I want you to start looking at the lyrics. I'm going to stop the song because the tune does not go with the lyrics. It's actually brilliant. Great art and great lyrics either companion, the lyrics companion the melody, or there's a contrast and there's a brilliance in the way this happens. So here we go. hear these, this dance to the tune music, and then you look at these lyrics. In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep from the mountains of faith to a river so deep. I must be looking for something, something sacred I lost, but the river's wide and it's too hard to cross. And even though I know the river is wide, I still walk down every evening and I stand on the shore and I try to cross to the opposite side so I can finally find out what I've been looking for. Are you kidding me? In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep through the valley of fear. Remember, it was from the mountains of faith. Now it's through the valley of fear to a river so deep. And I've been searching for something. It was something sacred I lost. Now it's something that's taken out of my soul. Something I, I thought I'd never lose. Some, something somebody stole. I don't know why I go walking at night. But now I'm tired. And I don't want to walk anymore. I hope it doesn't take the rest of my life until I find what it is that I've been looking for. What? Billy Joel will say, I'll be the first to tell you, on his best days, he's an agnostic. But on most days, he's an atheist. In fact, later in the song, those of you who know it well, he says that statement, God knows I'm not a what? Anybody know that? I'm not a spiritual man. But there's still something there. What great art does. This Billy Joel's in the image of God just like every other human being. 
And there's something he ta- he's tapping. Great art acts as a hand that comes up to the shutter of our hearts and enables us to tap something, to identify, to articulate, to see something that we couldn't articulate for ourselves. That's why great stories, great music, great movies, uh, paintings, they, they do something in us. They tap something. And he's articulating it. Just because he's not a follower of Christ, it's not me. He, 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 he is a mago day. And what he's articulating is something one of the greatest apologists of the 20th century spent a lot of time on. C.S. Lewis became a follower of Christ as a, an Oxford don, but it was after a long journey that started when he was a little boy. And he actually said, when I was a little boy, I encountered something. It was right after my family moved to our new home outside of Belfast, a place called, if you're C.S. Lewis Buff, you know the nickname Little Lee, Leesboro House. And he says, we just moved in. We were out of the city, and I was looking at the distance at the Castlereagh Hills, and those hills evoked something in me that they would not satisfy. And he used a German word his entire life to describe it. Sinsucht, ache, longing, thirst. And he says, it's my Sinsucht that accompanied me through my abandonment of the church and my anger at God over losing my mother and him not answering my prayer. And he moved into journeys with sensuality and the occult and further further away. But he said, my my zinsuk, my search for, for what he referred to as joy, it would not be quenched, it would not be snuffed out, but I couldn't find, I couldn't figure out what is it. And he says, my zinsuk what accompanied me into an investigation finally of who God really is. And so move, it accompanied me from my move from, agnostic, from atheism to agnosticism to deism to theism to biblical Christianity. Throughout that time, he says, that's when I became the most reluctant convert in all of England. I was kicking and screaming, but I couldn't go anywhere else because it was only the gospel that would address my sinzucht, my thirst, my yearning. And it wasn't a yearning to be religious. It was a yearning, a longing for something that he couldn't articulate. And C.S. Lewis and Billy Joel are not the only two human beings to ever encounter that. Every one of us has. Some of us are better at others at tapping it, explaining it, uh, unpacking it. But It's at the core of the gospel. And so often, uh, and I mentioned yesterday, I spent some time talking with late high school, early college, but it's increasingly more and more even in in your friends and companions. How many of your non-churched, unchurched contemporaries wake up every morning saying, I wonder how I can be forgiven of my sins and get to heaven? Very few. But every human being you have ever encountered wakes up wanting to be fully alive. Lots of different theories, philosophies as to how that will happen. Does the gospel have anything to do with that? A couple of thousand years ago, there was a woman, she was somebody who, we don't know all the cultural dynamics at play, but 
marriage was a big thing to her. And in that culture, it was important. She'd gone through five husbands. Don't know if they ended in divorce or them abandoning her or them dying, but bottom line, she was thinking, my sinso can be addressed by this, this husband. That didn't work out. Then there was a second one. Then there was a third one. Didn't work out. Fourth one didn't work out. Fifth one didn't work out. Again, we don't know all that happened. This is not 21st century Hollywood's first century, first century Palestine. So she's living with a guy. Okay, I'm not going to do the marriage thing, but I, I, there's still something about uh, uh, th- th- this, this yearning that I ha- have and a need for a man. And uh, So she went down that path, and it ostracized her from her community. Everybody else in this desert community went to the local well at dawn, at the early in the morning when it was cool, or in the early evening when it was cool. She would go in the middle of the day when the sun was straight up. Nobody went out in the desert and went to the well then. She loved it there because she wouldn't have to talk to anybody, be judged. But on this particular day, her heart sank when she started approaching the well because she realized she wasn't going to be alone. She got a little bit closer, her heart sank further when she saw it was a man. And men were not that kind to women in that culture, which was this juxtaposition because she still yearned to be with a man, but in large, culturally speaking, women were diminished. She got a little bit closer, her heart sank further because he was a Jew, she could tell by his attire. So pretty shocked when he spoke to her. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 4 and you can read along with me or you can read up, up top here and you'll notice I have, it's from the New International Version, but I have not put the, the, the verse references. And part of the reason for that, I want you to see this as a story, which is what John intended. We added verses, verse numbers way down the line. And if you're like me, I get into a propositional mode and I say this verse, that verse, and we start parsing it. Let's enter not just into the gospel as proposition, but also the gospel as a plot, a plot of reclaiming people to the original purpose that they're made for. So that's why I don't have the, uh, the, scripture, the verse references here, but I obviously will point out some verses here in a little bit. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, You've, all of you have already picked up. This is the story of the woman at the well. Over the course of my journey, I've often heard this passage taught about, and usually it's in evangelism methodology is the subject. This is how you strike up a conversation with an unbeliever. All that's true, but I want you to go deeper to maybe put an umbrella of longing or zizel over it. Jesus was tapping something in this woman. Uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How, How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The Jews refer to that uh, in Hebrew as maim chaim. 
There was a literal maim chaim, which was water that was not stagnant. It was flowing from a, 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 a spring. But there was also the, the metaphorical maim chaim. That's what every human being thirsts for. You woke up this morning with a thirst for living water. I don't care where you are in your journey with, with God, with Jesus. We all, every human being wakes up. It's what Billy, it's what's driving Billy Joel to write that song. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Is it also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But now he moves to metaphor. He says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Welling up to what? Now, we're going to be unpacking this this week, but I want you to understand that is not synonymous with heaven. Call the board. Get the heretic out of here and get somebody else to teach the rest of this week because Gold Lake Ministries is going down a dangerous path. Eternal life, not heaven. Didn't say we don't experience eternal life in heaven. Eternal life is just not synonymous with heaven. We will experience eternal life, if you will, in an undiluted, undeterred, unencumbered way, no longer hampered by a fallen body in a fallen world. But eternal life is not the same thing as heaven. We'll come back to that. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, okay, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. She replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. Because the fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. Now, there are a lot of people that think, in fact, you get the religious, legalistic crowd, they'll say, attaboy, Jesus. Let her have it. Here's this woman living with a guy five failed marriages, whatever the reason, they're, they're no longer. And often the, the religiosity, the legalistic crowd becomes very judgmental and it's, there's a shame base to it. It's how we motivate one another to follow Jesus. It's, it's something so far from, from the gospel. This is not a shame-oriented statement. Jesus is not shaming this woman. He is revealing to this woman, yes, that he knows her well, but he's also keying in on what she had been going to dominantly. We all have defaults, and those defaults can change from day to day and sometimes from moment to moment. Now, where are you going to, to quench that thirst? Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? Every one of us. For her, it was men in marriage. It could be, for, for some of us, it said, go, go, go. Go get your, uh, your bank account. Go get your job titles. Go get your degrees. 
Go get your church attendance records. Go get your porn. Go get your, your, your alcohol. Go get your, your, your drug addictions. Go get your all sorts of stuff. Some good, some not good. Go get your family. Bring them back here. Let's, let's unpack. Are they really, is, is, are these, these the, the, this pursuit of men in marriage, is it really happening for you? Is, is it accomplishing what it needs to do? What Jesus was doing, he's, he's using words, the surgeon would use a scalpel. And that broke the dam. I don't know if we'll get back, get to it this week or not. I, it might be in session 14 this week. I think we have 14 or 15 sessions. But those of you who know this passage well, you know it comes to the, uh, if we come back to it, you'll just pretend you haven't heard this, okay? If I, if I come back to it, yes? Just agree. All right. So wh- where's this passage go? What does she do now? She changes the subject gets real nervous. I have people do that all the time when I'm riding on a plane and we're having this chatty, chatty, chatty. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. (laughs) First, actually, the first thing they do is say, huh. And they're calculating how many millions of people are flying today. And I got seated next to a pastor. Then the next thing is, for some reason, people say, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, my wife's sister's husband's son's uncle is a minister. I don't know why they do that. That happens over and over. There's some kind of, hey, I've got somebody like you in my family uh, heritage. (laughs) But then whatever we've been talking about, the conversation shifts, and this woman shifts the conversation to religion, to worship, big topic between Samaritans and Jews, mode of worship, place of worship. The Samaritans were these, these interracial people, the Jews would say. These, these uh, I mean, they had awful terms for them, sort of like half-breeds and so forth, because they, they had been syncretistic, and they had adopted the religions of the Babylonians and the Persians and all of this stuff. So she's thinking, hey, I'm getting out of this uncomfortable moment. And that, what she didn't realize is that Jesus, that's right where they were going. They've been talking about worship the whole time because this whole notion of zinzucht and longing has everything to do with my worship because my worship is an all of life acknowledgement of what is worthy and what is worthy not just for my best religional religious foot to be put forward but what is worthy in terms of what is is addressing the deep thirst of my soul so here for a few more minutes and then we're going to continue tonight unpacking this whole notion of our sinzuk. And I want to look at some characteristics of our longings. And this has everything to do with the gospel. It's where Jesus was starting with that woman. What's the starting point for us really unpacking the relevance and the cogency and the beauty and the power of the gospel? It's not Hi, I don't know who you are, but would you like to be religious? If you, are you not happy with your religious life these days? That's not where Jesus went. He said, are you thirsty? Let's talk about it. It's living water. Our longings are central to being human. It's not for religious people, not church people, every human being. Back in uh, 1977... 
there were two spacecraft launched into the cosmos. It's Carl Sagan was the guy that started it. Was his brainchild. It was the Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. And it was this, the, the spacecraft sent out in two different directions into the galaxy. And the primary reason for these spacecraft was an, as an introduction from Earth to any other intelligent life that might be out there. And Carl Sagan designed this thing, and uh, they talked about, okay, what's going to be on the spacecraft, their number of artifacts, and so forth. But uh, one of the central items was a golden record. And it was the, really the precursor of what we know as DVDs that are now part of history as well. But um, on that golden record was literature and art and mathematics and, and music and some film clips and so forth. Uh, the culmination, you can look this up in that wonderfully reliable tool called Wikipedia, and you could, but the last item that was on the record in terms of the music. I mean, how do you select what music you're going to play? And he actually asked a woman named Andrewian to pick the music, to go on this golden record that would introduce humanity to the rest of the galaxy. You talk about pressure. He, he actually married her, I think it was about four years later. But she, uh, she decided and she picked Beethoven's String Quartet number 13, Opus 130. And... Uh, you say, why that? No, it was because Toby Keith had not yet started writing music at the time. But, um, but she was asking an interview, I don't know, five, six years, seven years ago, uh, about it. They were reflecting. I said, why did you pick that piece of music by Beethoven, that per- specific piece? And uh, she said, she, first thing she said, well, when Carl told me that uh, I needed to pick carefully because it would last a hundred uh, uh, or a thousand million years, I got a lot of pressure on me. But he, she said, interestingly enough, it, that pressure didn't paralyze me. It motivated me directly to this piece of music. And then here's what she says, quote, this great, beautiful, sad piece of music on which Beethoven had written in the margin the word Sinsucht. She said, part of what we wanted to capture in the Voyager message was this great longing that we feel. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Andrew is saying every human being has deep longing. Jesus is tapping that with this woman. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, when I say longings, let's go ahead and clarify what we're talking about. Things like significance, a thirst for significance. There is not a person in this room that doesn't have that longing. Or thirst for intimacy or love or security or meaning or wholeness or acceptance or purpose or shalom or connection impact, destiny, goodness, truth, beauty, belonging, joy, justice, triumph, freedom, freedom, meaning, resolution. That list goes on and on. I didn't grow up in a church where I heard a whole lot about 
this. A lot of churches are like that. Let me tell you this, though. Churches might not talk about this list much, but Hollywood sure does. You have ne- favorite movies, significant films. I'm not referring to Dumb and Dumber, all right? So, but other, other well, although, never mind. Um, those movies, you, your favorite movies, the ones that moved you, it was because of something up here. Those songs, going back to what Lewis said, when I, I was standing there looking out at the distance, it could be at the Castlereagh Hills or the Rocky Mountains or the Great Lakes or Gold Lake at sunset. But there's something there. What is it? Now, Lewis has mentored me. Never met the man, obviously, but it's mentored in this whole notion of his search for joy and this Zingzucht and how the gospel goes deep in a human being when we bring those two together. Often, what we do, several of you have commented about um, uh, my statement yesterday about some of the surveys that have come out and three-quarters of, of kids who grew up in church abandon the church by the time they're 30. Part of the reason is a lot of this is never talked about. And you start going into early adulthood and start paying attention to these. And if I've got a superficiality about my engagement with the gospel, it's not going to track with this. And it's, it's bringing the two together. And Lewis, walking through, he actually wrote a poem. I was doing some study time in Oxford, and I was at a used bookstore right across from Trinity Church, or Christ Church uh, in Oxford. I, I love used bookstores. I don't know what it is, if I get high off of the mildew or what, I'm not sure. But I'm drawn to Arlene knows if there's a used bookstore up here, we've got to go to the other side of the street because I'm just, I, 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 love, I love books. I went in this book, spent about two or three hours just going through. This is in Oxford, England, so there were some old books in there. I found one. It wasn't that old, but it was back 40, 50 years, but it was a, a book called uh, Poems. They didn't have that great of a publisher to come up with. It was actually by C.S. Lewis. I didn't know there was a, a book of poems. I'd never seen a book of poems. He actually didn't write it. His, uh, one of his associate put it together after he passed away. So I, I opened it and started thumbing through, and there's a poem in there. And I've, I already know about Lewis's search for joy, uh, the Zinsucht. And there's this poem called Vowels and Sirens. Here's part of it. A vanished knowledge was there in temperate song. A music that resembled some earlier music that men are born remembering. It's brilliant. You were born remembering some music, but you can't place the source. You were born, every one of us, born remembering some music. He says, it's what all the gods refuse. This is Lewis's uh, literature and the mythology coming into place, the ancient Greek mythology, the backward journey to the steep river's hid source. In other words, we've got this yearning, this thirst. We're, We're born hearing some music, but we can't quite place it and trace it. And we try to, to, to figure out and go backwards. And he says, nope, the gods refuse that backward journey to tracing where the longing's coming from. In fact, to the steep river's hid source, the great returning, the sirens feign to give. The sirens, those mythological characters that would distract sailors from their journey. And we all have those moments, don't we, where, uh, wow, what meaning of life, what am I thirsty for, what am I longing for? 
And then something comes up. And we're constantly being thwarted. So it's understanding that our longings not only are central to being human, but they need to be, and this is kind of some of where we'll pick up tonight, engaged and discerned under the direction of Christ's spirit and his truth. You talk about a great opportunity. This week, in the midst of the flurry of activity, there's also a beautiful body of water right out there, and there is enough shoreline for every one of us. Herman Melville, in his classic Moby Dick, he said, water and meditation are wedded forever. It's just something about, go out there, spend some time and say, I want to discern what is it that I'm longing for? What am I thirsty for? And here's why that's important. This goes back to what I was mentioning about so many of our our, our kids. A superficial engagement with my longings will lead me to a superficial engagement with the gospel. And often students, they'll start going deep with their longings, but they remain superficial with the gospel because that's what's been modeled to them by me, by you. Jesus says, if you knew, if you discerned who it is standing in front of you, discern the connection between him and what you're thirsty for, all of a sudden, we'd have a conversation. Now, when I say longing, some people would say, oh, I've got a longing to to be president of my company or to be an NBA basketball player or longing to, to live in this particular. Those are not longings. Those are pursuits. There's a difference between pursuits and longing. Pursuits, things like relationships, work, hobbies, sports, addictions, eating, art, church, politics, stealing, volunteering, marriage, boyfriends, girlfriends, parenting, fame, porn, religion, drinking, vacation, shopping, sex, social causes, selfish causes, collecting, making money, spending money, success, serving in church, leading Bible studies and discipleship groups. You talk about, whoa, 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 those are some good things, aren't they? Yeah, some are good, some are not good. And we go back and forth, and we're trying to, to quench a thirst. So here's an assignment. It's 10 after, and I want to, uh, I know it's a shocker that preacher would stop at the, the right time, but the benefit is I got you one more time later in the day, and we can pick up right where we left off. Here's an assignment, too. Get a piece of paper in your mind, or literally, one side say, here are my pursuits. Put down the good stuff, the not-so-good stuff. What longings am I seeking to fulfill through that particular pursuit? Is it a bad thing to search for significance? Of course not. Some of you were wondering, I, and I can, if you, I'll put these up in a minute and you can take photos of them. If intimacy, love, none, yeah, actually, none of these are sinful, but the way we go about them often is sinful. But this is the residue of our imageness. Take the, uh, from sin, so how about stealing? What longing is being addressed or tempted to? It's not one correct answer. What, 
Give, me, give it a shot. Huh? Security. How about slander? Big time sin that's often kind of ignored in churches and Christian communities. But what, if I'm slandering somebody, what, what longing am I trying to, to address? Number of answers, what? Acceptance? Justice? I mean, if I'm not feeling accepted, if I'm not feeling uh, secure, there are a number of things. The better, what, what I can do is make you look worse so I will feel a little bit more accepted or a little bit more significant. So we're going to pick up right there. I want to pray for you. And this is going to be a great, I'm praying a great week for us to fall in love with Jesus in deep ways, not just religious ways. But we're going to take a break, and then I think there are pastries and coffee in the back. Is that that, that right? Fillets? Oh, no, not the fillets. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you did with that woman by that well. I pray you will inhabit our ruminations, our meditation, our grappling with who we are as human beings. And tonight as we continue to talk about our longings and then tomorrow and, and Wednesday as we, we look at what is this life that you offer us? What does it look like on a daily basis? But before we get there, would you give us the courage to be honest about our, our thirst, our longings? And what are we doing with those longings? Are we bringing them to you? Are we trying to fulfill them on our own? Thank you for loving us enough to wanting to come rescue, redeem, restore, complete. And I pray this in the name of the one who is way and truth, but also life. Amen.